thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here's Pastor John Hill. Let's dive in. So I want us to try to place ourselves uh, as people who are part of the first century Palestine region. I even want you to imagine yourself, and I wonder what it would have been like to be a Jewish person in that environment. Um, I wonder what it would have been like to be a part of a culture uh, that was built on status and title. Uh, it, was, it was built on... Uh, making sure that you had the right kind of job, married into the right kind of family. Uh, there, there was uh, systemic poverty. There, there was even uh, things built into the system to sort of keep people where they were at. It wasn't like it is now where sometimes you feel like you could go from rags to riches or from nothing to something. And you really had to work a system that was tough. Add to that the fact that there was a, an oppressive government that was ruling at that time. They were occupying your homeland. Uh, they even had stiff penalties and rules. Uh, they, the, the soldiers of that government could call upon you at any time to walk up to a mile to carry their stuff or to do whatever it is that they were asking. You couldn't say no. Um, and, and in the midst of all of this, there was racial tension and there was economic tension. There was religious tension. And you're in the midst of all this, and you've grown up, say, as a Jewish person in your Jewish family, and they've been telling you that it's not always going to be like this. They've been setting the stage for hope in a, a Messiah that would come, a Savior that would come. And, and you started to hear whispers and rumors, because you're from the area of Galilee, uh, and specifically maybe even the, around the uh, town known as Nazareth, kind of inland from a huge lake that they would call the Sea of Galilee, and then there's... There's this area, region of Galilee, and, and, and you start hearing about this guy who's from Nazareth who is kind of inland, right? And so, you know, once it would be said, that what, what can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, and you start to think about it like, you know, even in our time today, you know, if you're from L.A. or from Orange County, from San Diego, maybe you live in the dream, if you're near the water. But we live in the Inland Empire, many of us. And sometimes we can feel that about Southern California. It's like, oh, yeah, when the people, are you from Southern California? They get all excited. They go, I'm not from the beach. Oh, not from the, where are you from? No, no, we're in the Inland Empire. Where's that? I don't know, somewhere where there's no real empire, but that's where we're from. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and it was like that in Palestine this time. And they started to hear this, these rumors. And a lot of you are familiar with rumors, right? Because you, you've heard rumors. You've, um, you, you've been the victim of rumors. Some of you caused rumors. Uh, and you know what that's like, and you start to hear word, especially in the first century when there were no cell phones or cell towers or any of that stuff. There was not instant access to everything. So word of mouth was huge. And, and you start to hear about a guy who's been teaching around town and who's been calling people to follow. And you heard about a guy who's done some miracles. And you may even talk to somebody who, who is the recipient of a miracle like that. And maybe you heard about the time that, he, that, that, that this guy went into a synagogue, which was sort of your local place of worship for a Jewish person in Palestine. Every city and area village kind of had them, and they would, they would go there. And he went into his kind of home village, if you will, and, and he reached for a scroll from the book of Isaiah. And this wasn't even necessarily a normal thing for someone to do. And he comes in, and he reads from this scroll, and he says, 
this is why I'm here. And he starts talking about giving sight to, blind, to the blind and, and freeing the oppressed and, and healing wounds and declaring the favorable year of the Lord. Which means that he was coming to say that there is a way in which we can earn and gain God's favor. And you may have been told your whole life that because of your situation, you have lost favor with God. That's why you're poor. That's why you don't have a position that you have. That's why you're not where you would like to be. Because God, you've fallen out of favor with God or your family has or your ancestors have. And now this guy says in the midst of this synagogue, today, as you listen to this, these words have been fulfilled. And then he goes about teaching and and now a crowd is emerging and you hear and you get some friends and they want to go and you find yourself right off the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he had some friends who were fishermen and they were following out with him and walking along with him and others and, and you start to realize there's this huge crowd that's coming to see this guy. And he starts moving away from the shore and walking up this hillside, this long kind of grassy area that has this gentle kind of rolling slope that a lot of people called a mountain, but it was really more like a gentle hill that would roll up a slope. And, and, and the mountain didn't even have a name, but, but now we can go, if you want to go to the Middle East, you can visit, and it's called uh, the Mount, or Mount Beatitude. And the reason is because he, he goes up, and as he starts to walk up, he eventually teaches a sermon. He preaches a sermon all about life in the kingdom of God and what it's supposed to be like to follow God and to, and to even be like God, to live like God, the way that he would want us to live. The same kinds of things you've heard all your religious leaders tell you, the same kinds of things your family's been telling you, he's going to teach about this. And I wonder what it would have been like to, to just be amongst that crowd and to walk up that hill, to, to see the grass forming, to, to maybe feel the breeze coming off of the, the sea or the lake, to maybe hear the scrunching of the sandals as everybody's moving their way up. And you, sure, you know you heard conversation on the way up. What is this guy going to say? What is he going to do? Oh, I was around when he did this, and I was around when he said that. And, and I don't know what he's about to say, but, man, it's really different than anything else that we've heard. And you get to the top. And this slope, a lot of leaders, you know, would get to the top, and they would, you know, kind of speak down to everybody. But Jesus stays toward the bottom, and, and there seems to be this motion or this flow to, for everybody else to take the hillside. So now Jesus is down here, and all the people are up here, very different from the leaders of the day. But it forms an amphitheater. So you have hundreds, thousands of people all on this grass. By the way, later he would perform a miracle and feed 5,000, it says men, but they probably had women and children there too, could have fed ten or 15,000 people from that same spot. You can go there today. There's a church built there. There's all kinds of, you can see the same grass that Jesus would stand on. If you could imagine being a part of that crowd, would you be leaning in, but just wanting to hear something different? There was no TV. There was no Broadway. There was no, you know, movies or even radio music and all of that kind of stuff. So everybody would have wanted to go. And he opens his mouth, and there's everybody leaning in ready because it says he settled himself and that probably took some time and everybody to get their seats and get comfortable, and now everybody's listening. And the first words out of his mouth are blessed, are the poor. I don't know if you could even imagine just the ripples that would go through the crowd. The poor? All of our lives we've been told that the blessed are the rich. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. So those who are brokenhearted, those by the way, one gospel poor, the other gospel poor in spirit. 
I think it means it has to do with maybe I'm spiritually hurting. Maybe I'm even economically hurting. But the point is, is that blessing is available to you, Jesus says. Blessing is available to you if your heart is broken. Maybe it's broken over your spiritual depravity. Maybe it's broken over hurts that you've had in your life. Maybe it's something. But blessed are those who are humble. Those who determine to place God first in their lives and not try to be first when you're surrounded by a culture, a, 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 a dominant government who wants to rule the world, dominant religious leaders who want to keep you down. You're surrounded by this. And he begins to describe a kingdom that is not about domination but about transformation. He begins to describe a kingdom that is not about morality, but about character. He begins to describe a kingdom that is not about borders and maps. It's about lifestyle and relationship with your creator. And what a radical message that would have been then. And by the way, how radical is that message now today? And he speaks in this, this message that in one gospel takes three chapters about life in this kingdom and what that's all supposed to look like. And this is what's so fascinating to me as we come to our topic for this month. In the middle of this message, which you have to know is the greatest message that ever was preached. I mean, I don't think, if there's a preacher alive who thinks they can outdo Jesus, we won't say what that means. But the point is, you cannot. To hold a crowd of thousands, hundreds of thousands, Multiple times with no PA system. Incredible message in the middle of all of this. He talks about money. He talks about possessions. He talks about wealth. And I believe in this message he says four things about money and wealth. Four things about possessions and materials. Four things that I think can help us get very, very practical about our finances. And maybe you've been a little bit stressed over the last couple of weeks because the, the message is, man, it's money, and I don't want to talk about that. And then maybe you've heard some questions that you had, and then maybe you liked the answer, maybe you didn't. Today I want to just get real practical because that's what Jesus did is he got real practical with people. He acknowledged the fact that in this earthly world, as we follow this kingdom and we, we, we decide and make that, and I can't, pro, I can't know this about everybody in this room, but it's those of us that made that decision to follow Jesus, and I hope for the rest of you, you do today, that you're going to deal with money. It's going to be an issue. So how do we do it well? How do we manage our money wisely? By the way, it could start by saying we're not managing our money, we're managing his money. How do we do it wisely? The first thing that I think Jesus says, and this I hope will excite you, is that when it comes to money in the kingdom of Jesus, the first principle is be rich. I lost some of you, didn't I? He says be rich. Look what he says in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. If you have a device you want to go there or a Bible you want to turn there. Matthew chapter 6 beginning of verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust, or, nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. I would even say can't break in and steal. Jesus says be rich. His challenge was not, by the way, to get rich. He said be rich. 
There's a difference. See, what he says is instead of life being about trying to amass all the wealth that you can and dog eat dog and climb the ladder and do everything that you can do, instead, maybe as we go through life and some of you in a corporate world succeed or some of you in your own business begin to succeed or some of you in other ways and you start to accumulate stuff and money and all of those things, what if instead of worrying about getting rich, we just said, I'm going to be rich. And what does that look like? And what does that really mean? Well, Jesus says it means that instead of worrying about investing in all the stuff that's going to happen here on this earth and trying to build up things that moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal, maybe, just maybe, there's a way to deposit things in an environment that will last forever. Maybe there's some things that take priority over the stuff that can burn down or be taken or be destroyed and instead invest in some things that cannot be broken, that cannot be taken away, that can last forever. Now, sometimes we need the things that break down and burn and maybe can get stolen to do the things that will last forever, but that's Jesus' point after all. It's not really about the money itself. He's going to tell you more later in just a minute. But to start with, I want your minds to expand to the reality that for God, it's not so much, listen, money is not the issue. The issue is what do you do with the money? And that's what it means to be rich. As a matter of fact, Paul, who was an apostle who was uh, at first a, a someone who was trying to destroy the followers of Jesus and destroy uh, the church, uh, had an encounter with God, and his life was turned around. He was transformed. And then he starts to plant churches uh, in regions that were outside of of Jerusalem and outside of where the Jewish uh, people lived and actually started to plant churches where Jewish people had moved outside of that environment went, as well as people who weren't even Jewish started to go. In other words, we're here today because Paul began to plant churches outside of Jerusalem. And he writes a letter to a pastor because then he starts to leave leaders in charge of these churches as he goes on to plant new ones. And he writes a letter to a pastor named Timothy. So Pastor Tim gets a letter from Paul. And he writes this. I instruct those who are rich in this present age to do what is good. Watch the word here. To do what? Can you see it on the board? Be rich. He says instruct them to be rich. But notice he says, instruct them to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. And then he echoes Jesus' words and he says, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age. And then he finishes by saying, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. I don't know if you know yet, but there is a life that this world is not about that is truly life. There is a life beyond the life that we often see and that we get caught up in and that we get worried about and that we get stressed about and that we get chewed up in and broken in and all of that that is really life. And what Paul says is tell those who are rich in this present age, he says really three things that he wants them to understand about being rich, that there's good works, that there's generosity, and there's a heart that is willing to share, a willingness to share. Now, I ask you, does that describe most you know, physically, temporally rich people in our world today? No. If they give, it's for tax breaks. They're typically not generous. In fact, they're very mistrusting because they think people are there because of their money and they can't really trust them. And they're definitely not willing to share as a result. And by the way, they're often miserable with the life that everybody else seems to want to want. They have it and they're miserable. And Paul says that's because, and Jesus says, 
Because they're not storing up stuff that lasts forever, that makes a real difference, that makes an impact. Instead of being rich, they're just trying to get rich and then maybe trying to stay rich. And Paul says, be rich. You say, pastor, I'm not rich. I beg to differ. You may not be rich compared to your neighbor or the one sitting next to you or in America, but you probably are more rich than you think, even here. But in terms of the world, we are very rich. Because where else in the world do you not have to get up and go plant your own food and then dig it up and then what you eat is whatever grows out of the ground and you, you, you don't have any other choice? Where else in the world can you drive from where you drove to our church today, our campus, or even online, you walk by a big box in your house that is stored with food? Or you drove by a, a store that we call a grocery store where you can walk into that box on any given day and buy whatever you want. Except when the pandemic broke out and everybody, for whatever weird reason, wanted toilet paper. <laughs> and you saw how crazy everybody went then. You have clothes on that you wear today that are not the only clothes you own. As a matter of fact, you might go through two or three or four sets of clothes just today. Some of you might have been industrious, got up and worked out. That was a set of clothing. You got into those clothes out of pajamas that you wore at night. That was another set of clothing. Then you put on your church clothes because those are your good clothes because you're going to go home and get into your comfy clothes. That's another set. <laughs> and then some of you go to family Sunday dinner where they're going to eat their brains out so you bring your sweats because those are your eating clothes. <laughs> there, there, there are, listen, you could go through four or five sets of clothes in a day, that's wealth, guys. Some of you are trading a perfectly good working car for another one just like it, just because they added a cup holder in this edition. <laughs> that's wealth. That's wealth. So the message is for us. <laughs> so what can we do practically to be rich? What are some things that we can do practically? Well, here's number one. I think you could create a family mission. Before we ever get to dealing with the strategy of money, why don't we just start with a family mission statement where we say as a family, we come together. And if you're single, maybe it's for your future family. Maybe it's for you as a, an individual uh, building toward a family. Maybe you've got a broken family, but you could take the brokenness and piece it back together and get a mission for that. The point is, is that what if we were to set out a mission? A mission is a, is a statement, is a, it's an idea that we put out there that we will spend our whole lives trying to accomplish. And what if we did that in regards to finances? An example of a family mission might be that we're going to strive to be a family who is generous. And then second to that, draw a vision up. Now, the vision comes from the mission. So the vision is, what are we going to do in this next season? Missions last forever. Uh, visions are seasonal. So in this season, what are we going to do to help us get closer to accomplishing our vision of being a generous family? Well, maybe you might look at your online bank statement. I was saying checkbook, the whole first service, and I'm looking at people going, what's a checkbook? You know, that's what they're looking at me with. Maybe it's your online statement. Maybe it's, it's an email that they send it in. Maybe it's a text that you get that says, hey, by the way, you're broke. Love, Chase. You know, whatever it is you get, <laughs> whatever it is you get, maybe you look at that and you recognize that I can't be generous because I'm in too much debt. So maybe the vision statement is we'll get out of debt in two years. Whatever you decide to drop, and by the way, as I go through these, each time we talk about what Jesus said, 
We have put on our website, if you go to the main page, sunrisechurch.org, and you scroll down below the top part into where we have the weekly message each week, there's a tab that says resources. You're gonna, you can get samples of a lot of this stuff in there. We want to help you. We're going to actually offer a class on finances. We're going to offer some other things coming up that you can sign up for, but you can also see links to things that will be helpful. Right now, media studies you can do as a family, as a small group. There's some things in there uh, that, that are some forms and a, and a website that you can go and, and get some samples so you can start to look at it. And there's things there that will help you in this journey, in this process. But create a family mission statement. Create a family vision statement. How about this? Join a small group. You say, well, that has anything to do with money. No, it does. Because if you get around other people who think like you do, then you're, it's going to change the quality and direction of your life. Sometimes we just surround ourselves with the wrong, kind, wrong thinking kinds of people. It's not wrong people, right, because God loves everybody and we want everybody to come to Christ. But they're not thinking right because they don't know Jesus yet. So why would we get around them and all we ever talk about is the latest, the, you know, tra- uh, attempt to get money, the latest strategy, the latest thing, and now we're going to do all that. And we're just hungry, hungry, hungry all the time and getting, getting, getting all the time. Why not get around some people who say, hey, you know what? What if we did something together as a small group, pooled all our resources or some of our resources and decided to bless someone else or decided to do something that would build a treasure that was going to last forever? And by the way, the only treasure that really can last forever that we can do is to help impact lives. Amen? Amen. That's what we can do. That's what we can do. Another thing you can do is join a ministry team because as you begin to serve, it gives you an opportunity to practice good works and generosity and a willingness to give. Because you're serving. So Night to Remember is a great example you heard earlier. Uh, going out and helping in our Peace Center, a great example. Helping with Next Gen with students and kids, a whole generation of people that need mentors just like you. And you say, I can't do that. I'm not a mentor. Yes, you are. Can you care about a young person? Then you can be a mentor. So sign up and start serving. All of these things will help us begin that process of being rich. It doesn't, it's, listen, it doesn't matter. It's not about how much money you have. Do you understand? It's, it's really just about your mindset. That's where it starts. You decide to be rich instead of being a person who's just trying to get rich. Here's the second thing Jesus says is be free. Huh. All in favor of freedom. Isn't that why we live in America? Like we love freedom, right? So how about freedom from something that has been plaguing America since it was founded? And it's created so many atrocities that we all look back on and go, man. And most of us think, if I lived back then, we'd have never done that. You're a liar. (laughs) But there's a mindset that's in our culture that is killing us. And I think it's a mindset that's obviously throughout the world. But since we live here, we'll talk about here. Jesus says, as he talks about storing up treasures in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Powerful statement. You want to know what you treasure? Look what's in your heart. You look what's in your heart, you'll see what you treasure. Another way to look at it is look at how you spend your money. That's how you'll figure out what you treasure. It says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's what Jesus says. It's not about how much money you have. It's about how much money has you. And what happens is some of us are enslaved to the love of money. Money is amoral. It's not good or bad. It's the love of money that later we can read in Scripture that is the root of all evil. Atrocities, oppressions, systemic things, all of the stuff that we're arguing about in our culture today, almost all of it can be drawn back to the love of money. And what doesn't go back to the love of money goes back to the love of self because love of money is empowered because we love ourselves. And Jesus comes and says, let's break both of those and let's determine to serve God. 
Because you cannot serve God and money. You can, listen, you can serve God and have money. You can have money and try to serve God, but you can't serve both. Because one is going to bust up against your values for the other. And this isn't to shame anybody, but that's why we tense up when the church starts talking about money. Because we're still shackled a little bit to money. So when we start talking about it, that's why we get angry. You don't go talk about my master like that. You know, and that's what we're doing. And Jesus says, you got to break free. you got to be free from that. In fact, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, tried to trip Jesus up one, one day, and they wanted to come to him and give him one of these really, really tough questions. So they came to him one day, and they said, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And the challenge was, you know, we're Jews, and, and, and we're supposed to be honoring God, and this Caesar who calls himself a god is telling us to pay taxes. Wouldn't it be better, really, they're saying, to not pay taxes? But they knew that if Jesus chose that, then everybody could say, oh, see, he's a rebel to Rome. But if he says the other pay taxes, well, then he's not really a real prophet, and he's, and he's you know, sort of denying his people. So Jesus says, hey, listen, why don't you give me a coin? Give me a coin. Interesting to me that Jesus doesn't have his own coin. Give me a coin. He looks at the coin, says, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar. And he says, well, then, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Matthew 22. So we know this is the thing. Two things Jesus is saying. The first one is very obvious. Pay your taxes. So stop trying to get out of your taxes, guys. Pay your taxes. <laughs> Second thing is not just pay your taxes, but also give to God. Because taxes belong to the government. But then... Give to God what is God's. Well, what's God's? Well, in Matthew 22, just a little bit later, same guys still trying to test Jesus, come up and say, what's the greatest commandment? And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Same conversation. You want to know what belongs to God? My heart, my soul, and my mind. My heart is my treasure. He just told you, your treasure and your heart, they're in the same place. My mind is the way I think and the way I see things, and that has to be renewed every day and has to be transformed by the God. And then he talks about uh, my soul, which means I trust my future and my eternity with God. That's not asking much, is it? He's just asking for everything. But the funny thing is when we start to do that, he begins to set us free. And as he sets us free, we're no longer enslaved to doubting our identity. We're no longer enslaved to, to insecurity. We're no longer enslaved, by the way, also to money or to the love of money. And Jesus says, you got to get free. Back to the letter that Paul sent to Pastor Tim before he said to be rich. The verse before, he says, instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. The reason you want to serve God and not money is because money's uncertain. By implication, Paul says, God is certain. So don't be arrogant because of your money. Don't be arrogant because of your wealth. Don't walk around thinking you're Big Daddy Warbucks because you got a few bucks in your pocket and that you're better than people or that you're... It, I don't have time to go into what annoys me about some of that stuff. But anyway, just don't park in a disabled spot in a Mercedes and get out without a sign on it. I, that's not really what Jesus said, but that's just my own thing. But anyway... <laughs> So here's some practical tips to be free from debt. And again, go to our website to get more stuff on this. But just to kind of run through this, 
Uh, the biggest tip is get out of non-investment debt. Don't be in debt to anything that's not an investment. Pay it off. Here's a quick chart that uh, shows a strategy that you can get out of debt. One's called snowballing the debt. The other one is called uh, avalanching the debt. They're basically the same, but in one, basically what you do is you take all your bills, you line them up, you have minimum payments on all of them, and what you do is you make minimum payments on everything except one. You put all your extra money to the one until it's paid off. And then you snowball it into the next debt. Don't now say, well, I was paying $300 of this and now it's paid off. Now I got $300 to use. No, you don't. Take the 300, add it to the next debt with its minimum payment and do that. And then what happens is by the time you get midway or down toward the end, you're paying hundreds or maybe thousands of dollars toward a debt you thought you'd never pay, but everything else is gone. And the avalanche is just deciding whether you want to start with your biggest debt or whether you start with the one with the most interest. I don't care. I mean, there's some finance people tell you which one to do, and that's fine, but just do it. You also need to create margins in your life. Part of the problem is we live paycheck to paycheck, penny to penny. Sometimes those things are spent before we ever even have a chance to sneeze at it. There's no margin in our life. There's no margin in our time and our schedule. There's no margin in our money. There's no margin in a lot of things that we do. But when it comes to our money, the, the, the solution to that practically is start some savings accounts. Yes, I said accounts. I don't even have a savings account. You've got to start. Here's what I would recommend. Three, at least, savings accounts. I think one needs to be a, an emergency fund. I think you need to save and save and save until you get six months of your income into your emergency fund. That way, if something goes south and you're out of a job or no income or whatever else, you have at least six months to try to figure it out. I think you should start an, uh, an investment or, and or retirement account. That's a long-range account that you're trying to build toward so that when you're not working anymore, you have some resources. And then finally, because I'm not telling you don't get anything new or ever get anything nice or never do it, start a wish fund account. Hey, we'd like to have this, so let's start saving for it, and we won't finance it. We'll wait till we have enough, and then we'll go get it with cash. Here's the funny thing that happens with your wish fund account. When you start seeing real money in a real account that you have saved and worked hard for, all of a sudden, my current TV is fine. <laughs> I don't need the new one that's flashy and shiny, and they added Q in front of LED, so all of a sudden, I don't even know what it means. I just know it's new and nice, so I want to go get it. But when they're going to finance it for you, and you could pay now, take it home now and pay later, well, yes, I think I need a brand new TV. It's just interesting how that works. But anyhow, start those accounts, Okay. Here's the third thing that Jesus said. Be intentional. Here's how he said it. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Notice, the therefore comes off of verse 24 where he said you can't serve God in money. So now he says, therefore, because you can't serve God in money, and the implication is you're going to serve God, then don't worry about your life. Why? Because God is powerful enough to take care of you. Then he says, I'm not sure you'll believe me. So Jesus says, let me give you an example. Right? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or, what you're, or, or about your body and what you will wear. Isn't life more uh, than food and isn't the body more than clothing? Absolutely the answer. Verse 26, consider the birds of the sky. And I love this analogy. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Here's the point that Jesus makes about being intentional. He's not saying that birds aren't idle or are idle, I should say. He's saying they're not idle. They get out and they do things, but they don't do the kinds of things that we do as humans to try to somehow secure our future. 
What they do is what they can do, and then they, they know God will do the rest. Now, I don't know if a bird knows, but instinctively, they know. If I go out and I'm intentional about what I can do, what my job is, then God takes care of the rest. And then he asks this question, aren't you more valuable than they? So if he does this for little birds, how much more would he do it for his children? So here's the point. You need to do everything you can do. I need to do everything I can do. But then we need to trust God for what only he can do. And only he holds tomorrow. We don't. Only he knows what's coming. We don't. What we know is what's going on today. And what we can do today is be intentional in in terms of our finances and get our financial house in order so that we can be positioned to be able to allow God to do what he wants to do. So that involves thinking like like we're going to be rich, not just try to get rich. It's being free from debt and being free from all this. It's even being free, as he says in the beginning, from the worry of money and life and all of that. And instead, what we need to do is position ourselves intentionally so that he can do what he wants to do through our lives. How do we do that? Well, the one thing that I would tell you is we got to create a budget. you got to live on budget. A budget allows you to live within your means. Now, I would love for us all to be at a place where we don't have to worry about money because it's endless and doesn't matter and we could do. But in a sense, I don't want that because I know that if we didn't really have to worry about anything, then we probably would chase our, what we want and we wouldn't even think about God. But Jesus says instead that he wants his people to be people who can understand that you cannot add one moment to your lifespan by worrying. So go ahead and budget. Do everything you can. Trust me for the rest. And, and, and create a budget when it comes to your finances that allows you to give, allows you to save, allows you to invest, and then you live on the rest. And I would suggest 10% for each category. Give 10%, save 10%, invest 10%, live on the 70%. And you're like, man, I don't know if I can do that. You can do it better than you think, and a budget will allow you to see where you're spending that you don't need to spend. Here's an example of one that we'll throw up on the screen. There's also a link to one on that website. But you might want to start looking through some of the categories uh, that you're going to see when it comes up and start asking yourself, have I budgeted in those areas and in those sections, can you bring it? Is it the, did you already do it? I might have missed it. There you go. That you could see all of those places what the, a budget allows you to do. Because a budget is, you know, static. It's not a person, you know. It's just like, did I think about this? Did I think about that? I didn't think about this. Oh, I didn't think about this. And it allows you to start to see how you can begin to get control. Here's the last piece. So be, be rich, be free, be intentional. The last one Jesus says is be content. Remember, he mentioned worry. He goes on in verse 31. So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink or what will we eat? Notice in contrast, verse 32, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. See, the the rest of the world is running around the rat race, we call it, trying to find scraps from the table and get what they can and try to build it up and become, it's weird how we intermix these metaphors, it's the rat race, but they're trying to become the top dog. So wait a minute, maybe I'm in the wrong race if I'm trying to be the top dog. But anyway, they're doing all that. And Jesus says, in the kingdom, we don't want you to be about that. Instead, what we want you to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And then all these things will be provided to you by God. And then he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He doesn't say don't plan for tomorrow. He says don't worry about tomorrow. So don't stress it. Put your plan, do everything you can, trust God for the rest, and be content. Instead of worry, the opposite of worry, anxious, anxiety, panic attack is contentment. 
Contentment means I'm okay no matter what the situation is. I'm in this, the, I'm, whatever scenario I find myself in, I am completely comfortable in the fact that God has this under control. Paul, again, in his testimony, Philippians would write this, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned, watch this, the secret of being content. So he said, okay, be content. How do I be content? He says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need, I know the secret. And he says it in the next verse, I am able, and you've heard this verse before, but maybe not applied to your money, maybe not applied to contentment. I am confident, and I know, and I am able to do all things through, really, Jesus who strengthens me. Our contentment is derived from the strength of Christ. My question for you today is, do you believe your Savior has the power and authority to care for you, to provide for you, to be able to come through for you? Now, here's the thing. If you go all the way back to the first point of being rich and thinking differently, it's not the coming through in the way you think in, in our, lesser, our, our less mature thinking that we might think, hey, the way God comes through for me is give me a new car every year. But that's maybe not what God wants you to think or how he wants you to think. But what you need and what will help you grow and what will draw you closer to him, and by the way, what's most important, what will give you fulfillment in life, he can provide. He will provide. He wants to provide. The question is, are you willing to trust him? So the, the, the practical tip on this is give your life to Christ. Give your whole life to Jesus. Not just your religious part, not just the part that's comfortable, but your whole life. It's going to involve your, your finances. It's going to involve relationships that you know maybe need, you either need to get out of or you need to change. It's going to involve your comfort. It's going to involve a lot of things that will be threatened by the fact that you give him your whole life. But the return on that is that you will learn how to be fulfilled and content in every situation. Because his strength will uphold you. It's not your strength or my strength. It's not our in intuition or our creativity. It's his strength that will uphold us. So even if you know Jesus as your Savior and follow him, I would tell you today, is there an area of your life, maybe it's finance, maybe it's even something else, that you have not given completely to Christ? And if you don't know Jesus, then he is waiting today and inviting you today to give him your heart, your mind, and your soul. And I want to invite you to do that today. Because he didn't just say, here's what I want, but he came and he gave to us first. He walked among us that day when he gave that sermon. And then he would go on for the next couple of years and be amongst us. And listen, 2,000 years later, we still read about it. We still hear about it. We still have learned about it. He made an impact on the world. And he didn't have really a dime to his name or any property or any of that other stuff. And, he, and we talk about him. Why? Because he was willing to give up his life for the invitation that he was making to everybody. I want you to enter the kingdom of God. I want you to be in a relationship with me. I want you to walk with me. And I'm willing to go to a cross and die and shed my blood to pay a debt, not a, not a, a financial debt, but a spiritual debt that we owe. He paid our debt on the cross so that we could walk with him. Would you receive him today? If you're willing, then I want to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head. And I want you to pray along with me. And for some of you, maybe you're just kind of praying a, a prayer like this, even though you're a follower of Jesus, just to say, God, I need to give you my finances. I need to give you this relationship. I need to give you my job. 
But for those of you who don't know Jesus yet and you're not in a personal, even online or in the room, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer if you're interested today in building that relationship, beginning that relationship, I should say, and receiving the offer that Jesus is giving to be in a relationship with you. You can say, dear Jesus, thank you for walking on this earth. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying for me. Jesus, I acknowledge that I've been living life my way and I want to live life your way. I'm asking you to forgive me of my stubbornness, of my pride, of my self-involvement. And I want to commit my life to you. Help me to become your child. Help me to become your follower. Lord, forgive my sins and give me a new identity, a new purpose. I offer to you my heart. I offer to you my mind. I offer to you my soul. And I ask that you would become my Savior today and my Lord. If you prayed that prayer, even in the quietness of your heart and you're sincere, then I want to invite you to let us know about it. We want to be able to come alongside and, and, and to walk alongside you in this. So actually attached to the bulletin, the program that you received on your way in, is a little communication card. It's the place where you can write a prayer request. You can give us your information. There's a box on there that says, I said yes to Jesus. I would love for you to check that box in just a moment. They're going to come around and collect the offering, and that's your offering today. I want you to put that in and let us know, and someone will be in touch. You can also, if you're more into tech and all of that, you can text the word next uh, to 909-281-7797. If you're online, you can Get involved in the, in the feed and in the chat and, and let them know. And, and, and we want to come alongside you. And so someone, if you text the word next, will we'll, we'll follow up. They'll, they'll talk to you about your decision. But whatever you do, I want you to be able to make life count. I want you to make it count. We're talking about finances. It's your whole life. I want you to make it count. Jesus wanted us to make it count. So he invited us to be rich. And he invited us uh, to be intentional. He invited us to be free. And he invited us to be content. And I don't know what it was really like back in that day, but man, I wish I could have been in that crowd. But you're in this crowd today. And you're in that chat room today online. And, and you have an opportunity today to have an experience with Jesus. I hope you go to the website. I hope you follow up. I hope you take Jesus' advice and get real practical about your money. And then I hope that we can continue in our worship even today. Because we're about to take an offering and then we're going to sing and we're going to give you a chance to respond uh, to what you've heard. And so why don't we pray and then we'll continue. Thank you, Father, for this time. Lord, thank you for Jesus and for his message and for this sermon uh, that he preached, Father, that actually renamed an entire mountain. <laughs> and we remember it today that started with uh, the word blessed. We want to be blessed, God, and we want to bless you. So help us give with enthusiasm and generosity, Father. Help us to sing and worship you in our remaining time. Help us to be humble and respond if we need prayer or if we need to uh, get side by side with somebody who can help us take a next step. Just help us, Father, to be the people that you called us to be because this world is not offering anything that's worthwhile. So we want to cling to you, Lord, in Jesus' great name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 
909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.